We're going to look at the kingdom this evening, um, and we're not going to go into any technical detail, so to speak. Um, you might remember from our first class that um, we looked at the way that those in the New Testament referred back to to the prophets and the um, the law. In particular, we have in mind Paul when he was preaching the gospel, and when he was preaching the gospel, he preached the gospel, the things about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, using the law and the prophets. And it's this aspect of the kingdom that we're going to focus on this evening. And if, if we stopped and thought for a moment, this struck me, that what detail do we actually have in the New Testament about the kingdom? There's really not much, is there? You, you might get a little bit in Revelation. But really, some of the things about the kingdom are actually revealed in the Old Testament. Uh, and that's what we're going to have a look at this evening. Now, I, over my years and the truth, I've probably been through various activities where we've tried to have a vision of the kingdom and, and um, had various speakers and I guess... Um, Sometimes they've said, think of the, the most enjoyable things you like to do and that's what it's going to be like always in the kingdom. Um, but I'm not quite sure that's quite how scripture presents it. So I, I think what we're going to do and try and do this evening is make the kingdom real to us. You know, what, what is the kingdom actually going to be like? What does Isaiah tell us the kingdom's going to be like? And what is the focus and the purpose of the kingdom? Um, we're going to go to some fairly well-known quotes and maybe we'll stop and look at them a little bit more and say, well, what's it actually telling us? Um, so our first section we want to have a look at is, is worship and teaching. Um, and we did briefly look at this in our first class, but if we go to Isaiah chapter 2, which follows Isaiah chapter 1, coincidentally, and Isaiah chapter 1 was about how the people had lost their focus on God as the object of their worship. They had become self-worshippers and, and God said, what's the point of all these sacrifices and all these things that you're doing for me? Put all that aside. Focus on the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Do what I do. Learn to be like me. And, and that's the focus. And now in Isaiah chapter 2, we have a vision given to Isaiah in chapter in verse 1 concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the future. You know, he's given this message in chapter 1 that they need to change their ways to return to God. And chapter 2 is a vision of the future. And Isaiah says, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. That hasn't happened yet, has it? We haven't seen that. That is talking about the kingdom age, isn't it? It's about God's kingdom being established. And all nations shall flow unto it and many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways 
and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And so what we see here, we see a very God-centred way of life, don't we? It's a way of life where he teaches us his ways and we walk in his paths. It's all about God. And the people throughout the world will come up to learn this, to learn about God. And that's got to be our role as well, isn't it? In fact, that needs to be our role now, doesn't it? Our walk today is and should be God-centred. Our worship together should be God-centred. It's about God, isn't it? About glorifying God, being thankful to him for the wonderful hope that he has presented to us. And so let's go over to Isaiah chapter 66, the end of the prophecy. Of course, there's all sorts of sections we could go to tonight. We're just going to pick out a few samples and um, I'm sure you might go to other areas that you're familiar with too as we've been reading together. Um, Isaiah 66 and verse 18. He says, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them and I will send those that escape of them into the nations to Tarshish, Pol and Lud that draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. And so here we see another role, something that, that we could well be involved in in the kingdom age. We've got the people coming to see the glory of God again. But then we see this situation where those that are sent out to those that haven't heard of God, they haven't heard of my fame, as it says there, and they haven't seen the glory of God. They haven't been blessed with that opportunity. Those regions of the world when the Lord Jesus Christ has returned that haven't had that blessing, that's going to be a, a, a joy for us, isn't it, to share the wonderful hope of the gospel message to those people, among those Gentiles, to declare the glory of God. So how, would, how might we declare the glory of God? Of course, we'll talk about it, but one would like to think that they would see it in us, in the way that we conduct ourselves with them. And it's something that probably everyone should see in us today, isn't it? We should be a, a, a living demonstration of the, the glory and hope of God, shouldn't we? We should be practising. So this is sort of a, a little theme that we're going to be developing this evening, that life in the kingdom is obviously going to be a blessing because we're going to be free of the nature and sin that we bear. 
But that doesn't mean that we just do everything we want to do now and God will fix everything and then we'll become God-centred then. That's not the way it works, is it? We've got to try as hard as we can to be God-centred now, to not be self-focused. And um, and that's going to be a challenge, isn't it? Because in our society today, it is very much a self-centred society. It's about self-satisfaction. And self-satisfaction doesn't really have a place in our lives, does it? Okay, it goes on in verse 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will remain before me, saith Yahweh, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith Yahweh. And so we see here that there is going to be a continuing of worship, a continuing of worship that will go from one Sabbath to another, from one new moon to another. So some of the, the feasts of celebration will will continue on and, and worship will take that form. It will have that seasonal role. And what we're starting to see here in this sort of language is, is that there are still going to be seasons in the kingdom. There will be cycles taking place. Now, you, you see I've got a contrast there in Isaiah chapter 1. If you, if you just hold your hand in Isaiah 66 and flip back to um, chapter 1, um, verse 11, this is one we, we looked at in our first class. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith Yahweh? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand, or tread my courts, bring no more vain oblations, incense is no more is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. And so that's what was happening in Isaiah's day. The, the worship and the festivals and the feasts that were taking place in the cycle of the, the new moons and the Sabbaths were of no benefit. God was not interested in them because of the reason the people were doing it. But in the kingdom age, there's going to be a total reversal. And here we find this situation where from one moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh will come to worship, to worship before almighty God. The whole earth, the whole earth coming together. It's interesting, isn't it, in this context, those that... Um, Maybe, maybe the younger ones, to start with, do you, do you know what the word Catholic means for the Catholic Church? No? Universal. universal. So Catholic is the word universal. Okay, and that, that's, that's the object the Catholic Church has an objective to be, the universal church. 
But here, what we're talking about this evening is a true universal church because it's God's basis of worship. Of course, in, in the, the sense of the Catholic Church, it's a man-centred religion. And of course, it's going to find them in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ in those last days. And so there is an element of judgment, isn't there, as well in the Kingdom Age. There is that aspect to it as well. Which leads us into our next subject, government and justice. Okay, government and justice. Okay, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, which we looked at last time. Unto us a son is given, uh, born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of course, this is talking about, as we saw last time, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the, the government hasn't been on his shoulders previously, but it, it certainly will be when he returns again. And he will be the representative of God, as he was when he came first, but he will be God's representative again in God's kingdom. Such is the language that is given there. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. And the zeal of Yahweh of armies will perform this. And we look at the governments of today. And we shake our heads and wonder how could anybody attempt to vote for anyone. The characters of the individuals involved, very self-motivated more often than not, although they profess to serve. And of course we see situations like Brother Greg has alluded to, Russia and Ukraine. And of course those people would be craving peace. In fact many parts of the world do not enjoy the relative peace that we enjoy. We probably live in what might be called a bit of a fool's paradise in, in that way, don't we? There is so much that needs to be done, so much that needs to be changed. Justice and equity. We, we look at and we see this in our own newspapers, don't we? The, the justice system at work. But we can only look forward to a day when righteous judgment will take place. And it will need to take place in that day because there will be a mortal population still that will need to be taught and to be guided and those that do not submit will be corrected. In our reading that we took from Isaiah chapter 11 this evening, 
They shall grow forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. The branch shall grow out of its roots. And we saw last time, didn't we, that was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Yahweh, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of Yahweh, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And we saw that last time, didn't we, that the, the Lord Jesus Christ won't use the, the mechanisms that we use to judge people, which is what we see and what we hear. It will be with that, that spirit of understanding that he is blessed with, with righteousness, judging on God's principles. And people will live according to God's principles and that's the only way it can be and of course we'll be involved in that as well administering that with our Lord Jesus Christ and one gets the feeling that the world in general will be a lot better place than it is today yes there will be that mortal population we look forward to the kingdom but it's not going to be perfect until the end of the millennium, is it? Because these people will still be there. But we will have that blessing to guide them and there will be that, that wonderful kingdom, that, that government, that rulership in place that is not here today. And it will keep things in check. But of course, we know at the end of the thousand years there will be still some that will rebel at that time because you can't change human nature but we have to see it for what it is and so it's a real aspect of the kingdom isn't it in that at that stage Isaiah chapter 51 Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 4. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for the light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they judge they trust. So we can see here that the arms are linked with, with judgment but also in trust. And when people judge righteously, then there is trust, isn't there? The two go hand in hand. When people don't see good, righteous judgment, they become distrusting, they become um, 
antagonistic to these things. And so it will be a, a good foundation for the kingdom age. And we saw in verse 4 there that the, the law going from God, the judgments that he makes, will be a light, a light of the people, a ray of light, something that has not been seen before. Okay. Right, life in the kingdom. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, it's probably a fairly well-known quote to all of us, where it says, He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. When you look at those two, those, that verse there, those words, what, what do you think it conveys to you about the kingdom? I am asking for a response here. What does it convey to you about the kingdom? Peace? Yeah? Okay, a time of peace. That's, that's probably how we would use that verse in, in most cases, isn't it? And certainly it is talking about peace. What else is it telling us that might take place in the kingdom? Agriculture, yeah, what, why would you make plowshares and pruning hooks if you're not going to use them? All right, so agriculture is going to be something that happens in the kingdom, isn't it? What else does that tell us there that might happen in the kingdom? There's going to be a massive change in the nature of man if they're not going to learn war anymore. Yeah, okay, which is the, sort of the peace aspect. Yeah, discipline. Yeah. Discipline. Hmm? Sorry? Discipline, yeah, yeah. No, it's probably a little bit. There, there will be some industry as such. Like, I'm just trying to make this a little bit more real. Like, it's not as though we snap our fingers with the miracle of the Holy Spirit and things will happen. I think that the king, we maybe need to make the kingdom age a little bit more real, that people will need to do this. It will teach lessons, won't it? There's going to be all these armaments around the world and they will be changed and be used in agriculture. So who's going to do that? Okay, so it's something that's going to involve people in that time, in the kingdom age. And those that enjoy getting their hands at work, making implements, will enjoy that aspect. Not because they have to do it, because someone's telling them, because they've got to earn a dollar, so that they can make a living, but because they enjoy doing it. I'm sure some of our brethren here might enjoy helping people do that to make implements of agriculture and get involved in agriculture. And I'm sure all of us would enjoy that when things will grow a lot better in the kingdom, and we'll get to that in a moment. Well, something just jumped into my mind with that quote too, Simon. Yeah. The fact that they're going to build... They're going to the things of destruction will be put down and productivity will be... That's there. right. Yeah, it's quite potent, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And there will need to be productivity. It's not just as though we'll all be sitting around on a beach enjoying the kingdom age. I, I started to think about this 
when I was thinking about this and think, well, it might be all right for the worst first week or two, but I think we'd probably get a little bit bored. Um, yeah, the, the kingdom age will be God-centred and we'll be doing things for God's glory. Okay, and so we're building on, on this idea from Isaiah chapter 4. In that day shall the branch of Yahweh be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And so we can see there fruitfulness being talked about. It shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And Yahweh will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defence and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. And so it's talking about the change that's taking place there, but one of the things that's going to continue is that there will still be sunshine and there will still be rain. It's necessary, isn't it, for fertility. So we're not going to live in this idyllic environment of just enjoying constant sunbathing all the time because it wouldn't quite work very well, would it? But it's talking about here the, the provision in, in, the, in Jerusalem that the tabernacle will be like a tabernacle as a shadow in the daytime. It's talking about a cloud over, over Jerusalem and we see that sometimes pictured in, in, um, in, yeah, in pictures of Ezekiel's temple you know, when people attempted to um, put a pictorial image for us and there's that cloud there and it's really giving that, that idea that it's going to filter out the heat so to speak in, in, for the purposes of worship there particularly in Jerusalem and, and to be a covert from storm and from rain but, but those things will happen still in the kingdom age but not to the extremes that we see today because the extremes that we see today are because of the abuse of mankind on the environment. But we will still see rain, and I don't know about all of you, I, I quite enjoy sometimes going out on the veranda on a, a summer's night when there's a bit of rain going on to actually sit out there and, and enjoy that. It's, it's quite a, a pleasant experience. There's nothing wrong with rain in itself. And so we're getting a sense that, that some of the things that happen today will happen then. It's not going to change that aspect. And it's the important aspects that we need to focus on, the things that, that matter to us, and it's really the nature that we bear, isn't it? Um, Amos chapter 9 picks up on, on this a little bit, uh, talking about the aspect of agriculture. We just delved into another prophet here, but... It sort of builds on what Isaiah was talking about with the fertility. 
Um, Amos says, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that the ploughman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that sows the seed. And so this is talking about the productivity in the kingdom age, that, that no sooner have, or there they are trying to reap the crops and they're, they're ploughing, wanting to plough the field to get the next lot in, such as the, the abundance um, of productivity that takes place in there. And that was, as we see there, the treader of grapes with him that sows the seed. And um, it says, I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled out of their land, which I have given them saith Yahweh thy God. And so we can see here, can't we, in, in um, verse 14, that there will be rebuilding work taking place. City building taking place, or not cities that we know it, probably more like they used to be in Israel's day, these little communities together and inhabiting them. There will be vineyards planted and they will drink the fruit of their labours. That's really the language that's being talked about there. Making gardens and eating the fruit of them. And it's very much the language of agriculture, isn't it? That we will look forward to the opportunity of being with. Erica and I were chatting about this because we were trying to think where we heard it. There was someone talking about the therapy of actually getting your hands in the earth and it's actually healthy for you to do that. Um, and so we can look forward to that healthy aspect in the, the kingdom age without all the burdens of life on us. Okay. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6. And in this mountain shall Yahweh of armies make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. The language here is, is, is about a feast, isn't it? It's a language that's talking about it would appear quite, quite a feast. A feast of wine and a feast of fat things full of marrow. So with that in mind, let's just go over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, of course this is the Last Supper, and verse 16, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine 
until the kingdom of God shall come. Then over to verse 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the language here of the Lord Jesus Christ on that day at the Last Supper when he said he could not eat any more with them until that day come, that day in the kingdom of God when it would all be fulfilled and in that day he will eat a feast. And so when we have Isaiah's prophecy talking about the feasts that will be enjoyed at that time will connect our minds, won't it, with that promise of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was going to look forward to that day of eating that feast with us in that day in the kingdom. And so it connects our minds with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 55 in connection with this, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 to 3. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? And your labour for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And so whilst we've looked at Isaiah chapter 25, this um, feast of fat things and wines and the leaves as, as a glorious feast to enjoy with the Lord Jesus Christ in the kingdom age. Those things also represent here in Isaiah chapter 55 the fulfilment of the wonderful gospel message as we see in verse 3 there. It's something that they hear because the ear, incline your ear, come to me. Here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And so it connects, doesn't it, with the promises to David, a foundation, one of the foundation components, of course, of the gospel message that we hold so dear. And so those things whilst you know, talking about a feast, also talk about something that we can enjoy together, the fruit of being the result of that gospel message. Okay, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1 and 2. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom 
as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of Yahweh and the excellency of our God. And so we see a, a, a beautiful time when those desert and solitary regions of the earth will be changed. They will blossom as the rose. And it says they'll be like the, the glory of Lebanon. And Lebanon itself is a, a beautiful country as far as that, um, as far as, um, I suppose that the, we have the cedars of Lebanon, don't we? They, they, are, they are within scripture, but it is a very fertile area. And as you get close to it at the, in the north of Israel, you can see the beauty of that area. And that will be throughout the whole earth. And of course, Isaiah was drawing on something that they were familiar with in their own um, context. And I guess in some ways you might look at some areas of Tasmania and say that it might be like that too because we have a very beautiful and fertile area as well, don't we? Okay. Isaiah chapter 65. Yep. Um, don't think we've had that, but anyway. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards. Yeah, we have had that one, haven't we? We've looked at this quote already. And the mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Okay, so once again, talking about not being idle, we're actually going to be doing things in the kingdom age. It will, yeah. Mm. Yep. And to work alongside the mortals in that day as well. So that's the way that we will teach them of God's ways as well. So very practical. The ransom of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall have joined, obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so it will be a time for us to sing and rejoice. That doesn't mean we can't sing and rejoice now, does it? We can rejoice in the wonderful hope that's set before us and that's why we we sing praises to God in thankfulness for the wonderful hope that's set before us and, and that joy will be ever more present in the kingdom age as we experience the things that we have been longing for. That day when we will experience great joy, great gladness, and there will not be these days of sorrow and sighing that we might experience in our lives today. Okay. The animal kingdom. Okay. Um, we read this, didn't we, in Isaiah chapter 11. Um, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard 
will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child will eat them. The cow and the bear shall feed, and the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. And so it's talking about, as Brother Greg said in his opening comments there in, in verse 9 there, that time of peace that we all look forward to and we've already talked about, and that will also be represented in the animal kingdom. And we see all these very distinct contrasts, don't we, of these animals that you would not put together today because you will have very different circumstances to what will take place in the kingdom of God. Um, Isaiah picks up on this again in, in chapter 65 uses um, similar examples. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. The dust shall be the serpent's meat and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith Yahweh. And so we, we've got similar examples there, so a couple of examples that are the same as we saw in Isaiah chapter 11. And so there's this harmony in nature. Um, but I did wonder why, why were these particular animals selected? Um, I, I think we can probably identify with the serpent and the way that it is subdued. And it is indicative, isn't it, that the nature that we bear will be brought under subjection in the kingdom age in contrast to what the serpent represented in Genesis but what about the other animals? We have the wolf and the lamb. Well, in John chapter 10, we have the Lord Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is as hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. And the hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And so we, we can see here that the idea of wolves and sheep are, are linked with being good shepherds. Uh, and that the wolf coming in is detrimental to the sheep. And we see this picked up again in the Gospels in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Or Matthew 10, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Or Acts 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the ecclesia of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, 
not sparing the flock. And so, with these verses, we see that wolves in our day and age and, and the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking were being identified with those that would take away the flock. And they would do it in very subtle ways. We have the, the analogy or the vision there of being in sheep's clothing, wolves in sheep's clothing. They, they are described as false prophets. And so that vision in the kingdom of the wolf and the lamb together is a time where there will not be false prophets. That situation will be changed as those two animals sit together. The, in Jeremiah, it talks about the wolf, the lion and the leopard which are also talked about in chapter 11 and chapter 65 of Isaiah. Therefore I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of Yahweh nor the judgment of their God. I will get me into the great men and I will speak unto them, for they have known the way of Yahweh and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. So, in Jeremiah, what he's saying here is that he's looking at the poor people, so to speak, and, and, and says, well, look, they're foolish. They don't know the way of Yahweh. They, they don't know the judgment of God. That's what it says in verse 4. So he says, I, I know, I'll, I'll go to the, the ones in, in rulership, the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes. I'll go to them. And speak to them, because they've known the way of Yahweh and the judgment of God. He says, but no, hang on, they've broken the yoke and burst the bonds. The ones that were supposed to be leading the people have themselves broken their relationship with God. Verse 6, wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces, because their transgressions are many, and their backslidings are increased. How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me, and sworn by them that there are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. And so the words of Jeremiah here, we see that the leopards and the wolf and the lion are representing judgments on the people by God because of the way the people have conducted themselves in going away from God. And yet in the kingdom age, we've seen a vision where the wolf, the lion and the leopard will be there in harmony because God is all-powerful. He can change anything, can't he? And that's a comfort to us. 
if we can put our trust and confidence in God, if we can confess our failings and our sins to him, he has the power to change us. None of us, none of us are lost. It's really important for us to to always remember. Um, Hosea chapter 13. Yet I am Yahweh thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no saviour beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, and as a leopard by the way will I observe them. And I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, and will rend the call of their heart, and there will I devour them like a lion, and a wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. And so God was going to use these beasts. And this is the language here, isn't he? He's going to come against them to, to change them. And, and a lot of the things that God was doing with the people of Israel was to bring them back to him. And he uses these analogies of being like a lion, by being like a leopard or by like a, a bear. And once again, all of these animals there in Isaiah 11... And Isaiah 65 will be there in quite different circumstances because God is showing us a time when things will change. And that brings us to our last section, physical change. And as we get older... We know how much more important that is. I think as young people we don't necessarily quite appreciate the need for this. Okay, Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 to 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. People dying before their time. It says there, for the child shall die and hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. And so even for the natural population, things will change. Things will change. People will live longer. And there will still be sinners who will die in the kingdom yet they will live a life and the lifestyle will be so much better for everybody as it was, evidently, in the early parts of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 25. 
He will destroy this mountain, the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord Yahweh will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away off all the earth. For Yahweh hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And really, that's what we are all looking forward to, isn't it? To be free of this nature that we bear. that death will be swallowed up in victory. And it's not just death, is it? It's not just the fact that we're dying. It's the fact that we are cursed with the nature that we bear as well, isn't it? And that will be taken away as well. So we'll be free of sin. We will be blessed with immortality. And for that we will indeed be glad and Rejoice. I think glad. Yeah, we'll be more than glad, won't we? We will rejoice in his salvation. And, and that cry is taken up in Revelation chapter 21, which we'll conclude with. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And so this message that was delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ to John in Revelation mirrors what we've been looking at in Isaiah, particularly what we just read in Isaiah chapter 25. It's a beautiful prospect, isn't it, for us? And we look forward to that. And we can look forward in confidence, as those last words say, for these words are true and faithful.